Well, again, good morning. Just glad that you're here with us. And for those of you who have not been with City ever before, or maybe this is the first time you are, or you haven't been worshiping with us in a while, we are in a sermon series that's entitled Growth on Purpose. Growth on Purpose. And a basic premise is this, is that by and large in life, Unless we grow intentionally with a plan and purposefully and with growth in mind, we don't tend to grow in the good areas. A way to grow in bad areas is just let life happen. How many of you have ever noticed that? If you ignore things, they grow, but not in a positive way. But we believe that following Jesus and serving others is the central reality of our lives. And so in that, we want to grow in what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that is the purpose for this sermon series. Now, one of the things that we have been talking about every week is this website called first15.org. And what first15.org will do for you is send you a daily email with a daily devotional. And you can take that email, maybe first thing in the morning, maybe over lunch, maybe in the evening, whatever works best for you, but you can take this. And that email that's sent to you, there's also an app that you could load to your phone. I utilize the email, and it comes in at about 3 o'clock in the morning. No, I'm not up when it comes in, but I am when I get up at 10 a.m. So uh, first15.org is there, and it takes 15 minutes. It's really neat. There's scriptures. There's a biblical thought. The other thing I love is there is a worship video that you click on, and there's actually some worship that helps you through that time where you're alone with God. So, this morning's sermon is entitled, Growth on Purpose, What Are You Thinking? Growth on Purpose, What Are You Thinking? And I know you were just seated, but we're going to do some Christian calisthenics this morning. So would you stand with me, and we're going to read Psalm 3. If you are able, if you would stand with me. I want you to read this out loud. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's read this out loud. Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. My sermon is based on something that I discovered as I served as a campus pastor at Princeton University. It was 25 years ago. And through some biblical study, hearing some sermons, and then observing 
the university students there, I discovered something that has radically transformed my life and it also transformed the students and people since then that I have been blessed to serve as a pastor to bring sermons in different places. What I want to talk to you about this morning is something that I think is absolutely mission critical if you're going to follow Jesus. Now in line with this, I want to say that what I came to understand and what I'm going to bring you to, this, to you this morning for this growth on purpose is something that I know because I've seen it hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of times. When people begin to employ and purposefully do what we're going to talk about this morning, some people, because of kind of where they're at, what we're going to talk about this morning brings incredible freedom. Now, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to read from the large screens a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul brings to us, and I want us to read it. And here we go. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This passage of Scripture tells us that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that when we recognize we are in trouble and that when we are in a battle, the Apostle Paul tells us that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus, how you do this next battle that we're going to talk about is mission critical that we do it the way Paul talks about. Because what Paul says is, there's a lot of people living in the world. And a lot of people do this kind of battle in different ways. But what Paul says is, as a follower of Jesus, we do not wage war the way other people do. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, and I know that many people that attend city are not followers of Jesus, but you're kind of looking over the wall at faith, or you're kind of opening the door to faith, and you've been checking out Jesus, this sermon is one that will allow you to kind of look into how faith operates in our individual lives. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you're considering being a follower of Jesus, this is for you. So here's what Paul tells us. Paul goes on in those passages, and here's what he says is, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying is that there is a battle raging. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to battle in a unique way with weapons that have divine power. Now, I've got a simple illustration I want to bring to you. And it's this. Fall is coming, and I'm very excited because I love blowing leaves in my yard. 
How many of you have one of those wimpy electric leaf blowers? How many of you got one of those? What you need is one of these. Trust me. You talk about waging war on leaves, this is it. This thing is awesome. You can blow leaves from 25 feet away. You can blow them in your neighbor's yard and pretend like you never knew it was going that far. This thing is awesome. And here's why. When I wage war against leaves, I use this. Now, yesterday, I was with the UVA wrestling team where they crushed Indiana. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm there at the wrestling match. Now, can you imagine this? Is that if I show up at the wrestling meet and I'm one of the UVA wrestlers and I was never good enough, not even close, to ever wrestle with this team. One of them lost their mind the other day when I was at practice and said, Pete, why don't you lace up and come out on the mat? And I said, because I don't want to die. That's precisely <laughs> why. I'm never going to get on the mat. I'll sit over here. You go do your thing. But listen, can you imagine if I showed up at the meet yesterday and I had this with me and I went out on the mat to wrestle? And I said, you know what, though, this weapon, man, this one works awesome. It works so well in my yard. And someone turned around and said, but Pete, that, that mechanism, that weapon is for leaves. It's not for wrestling. And I go, but man, it works great in the yard. It's awesome. You ought to see it. I push all my leaves into my neighbor's yard. It's amazing. Now let's wrestle. If I wrestle with this weapon on the wrestling mat, I'm going to lose. I'm going to get crushed and hurt and defeated and lose my scholarship, something I never had. <laughs> now, here's what the Apostle Paul says. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. There's different type of weaponry and when you're in a battle in your life, some things will work in one sphere of, in, of your life, but what the Apostle Paul is saying, and the battle that we're going to be talking about this morning, if you use the wrong weaponry, you're going to lose. And you'll look just as foolish and be just as easy of a target as I am wrestling with the leaf blower on my back. I'm starting to sweat, so I'm actually going to take this off now. Now, here's what Paul says. Paul says, you want to use the right weapon because if you do, it has divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, that weapon works. So what is this war that's being talked about? What are these strongholds that Paul just mentioned? Here's what they are. He said, we have weapons that can demolish these strongholds. Not just kick them around, can literally demolish them. That word demolish means to bring low, to flatten. Now, with this, here's what we know. The Apostle Paul teaches that the strongholds are arguments. They are arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God about you. And then he goes on to say, we use these weapons 
to demolish these arguments, and then we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, what Paul is teaching us is that the battle that we are involved with is a battle that deals with the thoughts of our minds. Now, here's what I want to explain. I became aware of this when I was serving as in campus ministry at Princeton. And I began to see a pattern that stunned me. Here was the pattern. I would have a, a student come into my office and sit down and we'd begin to dialogue. And that student would look at me and burst into tears. I remember the first time this happened. This young lady looked at me and she said, I'm ugly. I was thinking, wow, I don't think so. But you see, she believed it. And so as we began to dialogue, I found out that her dad, in a fit of anger when she was younger, said to her, you're ugly. And that, for whatever reason, had logged in her mind. And what ended up happening over time was that every time she had an interaction with someone and it didn't go perfectly well, she would say to herself, that's because I'm ugly. And you see, the word that the Apostle Paul uses for argument is the word in Greek for forensic debate. It's when you actually build a case against something else or someone else. And in the Greek world, what would end up happening is a lot of these debates were in public forums. And you'd have two debate teams. One would be on one side, one would be on the other, and the crowd would physically move to the side of the debater they felt like was making a better case. The Apostle Paul uses that word, arguments, forensic debate. And so what I discovered here with these students at Princeton was this, is that many of them had arguments against God's best for them. And there had been a case that had been built against them for years. And as I often talk about when college students go away from home, that's when they really have time to think about family and upbringing and to process through that. And here's what I want to tell you. There is no perfect parent, myself included. There are episodes in my parenting I would do anything to take back. But here's what I found. If education would solve this, these were the smartest students in the world or among them. So what I can tell you is the weapon of education works in a lot of places, but it doesn't work there. Positive mindsets. Let me tell you, those things are effective. Having a positive outlook on life works in a lot of ways. Goal setting. Goal setting won't work against this, trust me. Goal setting works in a lot of battles in life, but this isn't an area where goal setting works. Those things are all great, but when we begin to talk about arguments that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God over your life and my life, the only thing that will work is a weapon provided by God that has divine power. The rest falls short. And when we begin to move into this realm, if we're using the leaf blower on the wrestling match, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. So here's what I noticed. 
I noticed here were these students, and I remember a young man that came to me, and he sat in my office, and we began to talk. He too burst into tears. And he said, I'm a total loser. I said, what? And here he is at Princeton at the top of his game, everything going for him in the world sense, but in the core of his being, he believed he was a loser. And as I spoke with him, I found out he'd been bullied as a young boy. And every time something didn't go well, the enemy of his soul would build a case against the knowledge of God about his life and his purpose and his calling in life. And he had come to the point where that argument, that warfare had beat him down. I've talked to people that are in the senior years of life that are losing this same battle. This isn't just about college students or teenagers. This goes for any one of us. Here's what I found. I have found over the years that there have been arguments built against God's best and knowledge over us and for us and the callings of our life in many different ways. Sometimes it's something that was said. I've already mentioned that. Sometimes it's something that happened to us. Sometimes it's something we did to someone else. Sometimes, and I noticed this, there were several college students that would come to me and say, I never want to get married, and I'm not going to get married, and I'd ask why. Believe me, marriage isn't the be-all, end-all. Ask anyone who's married. (laughs) Honey, I love you. It's my fault. But the reality of it is, is I was sitting there working with college students and they would say to me, my mom and dad's marriage blew up and they're divorced and I never want to go there. Observe this too. Mom cheated on dad. And so the young teenage girl there at Princeton would say, I'm so scared that I'm going to cheat as well. I don't think I ever want to get married. Older brother is a drug addict or an alcoholic. And these students were convinced that they were going to go down the same road. What happened in life was the enemy was building a case built on that. And it was overwhelming and overshadowing God's best. What I know is, is that those arguments always end with worthlessness, hopelessness, and fear. Always. And I know some of us sitting here on the outside, we're smiling, but on the inside, we're dying. We're losing the battle. Well, here's what's amazing. This isn't just common to us today. It's actually found in the Newer Testament as well and the Older. So what I want us to do is look very quickly at the Newer Testament example. You see, in the Newer Testament, the Apostle Paul writes two letters to his young protege pastor by the name of Timothy. Here in the letter of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. What in the world's Paul talking about? You see, the Apostle Paul installed Timothy as the pastor of the church of Ephesus. 
And when he installed him as the pastor, there was a prayer time where people came around Timothy and in that ordination and in that installment of Timothy being the pastor of the church of Ephesus, there were people that said, Timothy, here's what God wants to say to you. And this may sound odd, but Timothy at the beginning would never have had the newer Testament that we do. The way God was speaking to people were through these letters that were not compiled yet into the Newer Testament. The way God was speaking to people was through prophecies. You can see that in the Newer Testament. And so when Timothy was installed as the pastor, the apostle Paul and the leaders are praying over Timothy and they're saying things to him, building him up, speaking about the call of God to be the pastor of Ephesus. But you see, Timothy had an issue. And it was this. Timothy culturally was too young to be the pastor. He was way too young. Some biblical scholars believe that Timothy was installed as the pastor. He may have been 20 years too young. And yet God said, Timothy, you're the man. So Paul writes to Timothy. Later on in the book of 1 Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you. Because of why? Because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. You see, Paul's encouraging him. Hey, Timothy, remember what God has said to you. I'd put it this way. Remember the scriptures that speak to you. Remember what the word of God has to say about you and your life and God's love for you and your calling and your potential in life. But you see, Timothy is beginning to crumble. And here's why. Every time something doesn't go quite right, Timothy will think to himself, the reason why that didn't go well is because I'm young. And the people are saying it too. They're saying, hey, Timothy, how did you ever get to be the pastor? You're too young. And every time he makes a failure, that voice is in the back of his head saying, you're too young. You're too young. Later on in 1 Timothy, Paul literally has to say to Timothy, get out of your office. Don't sit in there. Don't hide. Get out with the people. And he says it this way, do never discontinue reading the word of God publicly. Don't do that, Timothy. And then Paul goes on to encourage him again. In the book of 1 Timothy, he says, do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So when Timothy was installed as the pastor, God spoke into Timothy's life. And when he did, Timothy was convinced. He was moving in that direction. But by the time Paul writes this letter to him, Timothy is crumbling. He's struggling. And you see the enemy of his soul is building a case against the knowledge of God over him. And here's what Paul writes to him in the book of 2 Timothy. Same issue. He writes to Timothy and says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Oftentimes, people quote this verse and they have no clue what it's talking about. It's talking about the warfare in Timothy's mind. The warfare in Timothy's thoughts is the enemy of his soul is building a case against his potential in life. Timothy's beginning to freeze up. And Paul has to write him again 
And remind him again, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, that word from God, that understanding of how God wants you to be and how God wants you to live and the potential you have in God, Timothy is still struggling. He's still struggling. So what I want to deal with next is how do we practically deal with this? How do we handle this? Well, I had us read in the beginning from Psalm 3. Psalm 3 gives us the best outline on how to deal with this and to win. How to employ the weaponry of God and to destroy this case that's being built against us. So if you would remember when you read Psalm 3 with me, in the beginning it said this. Many are saying of me, what, they were, what were they saying? God will not deliver him. Here's David. David is the king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, David's got everything in life going with him, going for him. But there are people that are now against him. Not only this, there are voices that are saying to David, God will not deliver you. He's not going to set you free. And because of this, David, if you remember in the psalm, said there are tens of thousands that oppose me. Tens of thousands. He never describes them physically, which he often did. All he says is, there are tens of thousands that are against me, and the one thing he mentions is what the enemy says. It's what the enemy says. And David announces to us that they are saying of him, God will not deliver him. David was known as a man that God always delivered. David was delivered from Goliath. Before that, he was delivered from the lion and delivered from the bear. There had been so many battles that David had led. You can read about them in the Older Testament. And God was always delivering David. But now, the people are saying, David, it's different. This time, God is not going to deliver you. He's not going to do it. If you would remember... In that psalm, do you recall the heading that is there? The heading was this, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. You see, what had ended up happening was because of David's adultery, dysfunction entered his home. And the dysfunction became more and more rampant. And what ended up happening was, was that his son Absalom spent three years sitting at the city gates, winning the favor of David's people, and then one day realized he might have enough momentum, and he decides he wants his own father's throne. And so he gets a little band of men, men together, and he's going to go kill his own dad. He's going to kill him. What David does is shocking. David leaves the throne and he goes on the run because he could not live with himself to kill his own son. And there are tens of thousands of voices that are saying to David, this time, 
God isn't going to deliver you. David, you're getting what you deserve. You deserve this. You deserve for your own son to kill you because of the sin in your life. But David had prayed a prayer of repentance. David believed that God's a God that forgives. He had cried out to God, and God forgave him. So David knew the forgiveness of God. And then he pens this phrase. David, near the end of that psalm, says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. What does it say next? Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. Have you ever read the Psalms before? They're awesome. Men, if you don't like the Psalms, you should. Here's why. David will write Psalms. They'll go like this. Glory to the Lord. I worship you in the temple. Lord, take all my enemies and crush their skulls. (laughs) Grind their bones into power. Stab them with their own spears. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so awesome to worship you in your temple. May your love and kindness cover me. Crush those people. Stomp them, you know. It's kind of the psalmist. I love that. I call it mood swing Christianity. But here's what he says. This time he does not say, kill them. He prays something very unique. He prays this. Lord, Strike my enemies on the what? And what? Break the, why? Because you can't talk when your jaw's broken. David knows that the argument against him is more powerful than the spear. He knows this. David knows that that case that they're speaking against him is starting to get a little bit of traction in his soul. And so he prays a prayer. God, please, silence the voices, the tens of thousands of voices that are telling me that you won't forgive me. Please silence the voices. And if you would recall the story of David, he didn't just commit adultery. He had the woman that he committed adultery with, he had her husband killed. But David knows a God that forgives. Some of us are sitting here, and that voice that builds a case against the knowledge of God is built around a sin that we've committed. And whenever we think about that, we're convinced that God doesn't love us, that God won't forgive us. And we find that the traction that we need is taken away from us. And the enemy of our soul begins to build a case against the knowledge of God. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. But here's what I want to say. You cannot defeat that voice with the power of positive thinking. You cannot defeat that voice with goal setting. You cannot defeat that voice putting Tony Robbins stuff to work. It's all good. But in this battle, you need divine weaponry that shows up and crushes the voice. You desperately need it. And do you notice what, the, what uh, David said in the psalm? It was amazing. He said, and I lie down and sleep, and I rise again. 
Some of you sitting here have not slept well in years. The enemy of your soul has built a case against you, and you are racked with worthlessness, hopelessness, or fear, or all three. And you're sitting here, and everyone around you thinks you have it all put together. But the enemy of your soul has built a case against God's divine intent and design for your life. You're a follower of Jesus, but you're anything but free, and you know it. You see, the weapons of our warfare have divine power for the demolishing of strongholds. And those strongholds are arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God for you. For you. Now, how are we going to put feet to our faith? We're going to put feet to our faith this morning by trusting God. By trusting him. By coming to that place where you're willing to come before God and say, God, there's a case that's been built against me. And now as you're sitting here, the first place you put feet to your faith is figuring that out. That this is not something that is just kind of neutral in your life. This is something where the enemy has built a case against the knowledge of God. And like those Greek forensic debates, you have moved yourself over. And God is saying to you this morning, he wants you to move back and let him shatter the teeth and break the jaw of that voice that is speaking to you. You know, full confession, I struggled with this at the beginning of my ministry. When I first stepped into the chaplaincy at Princeton, an alum walked up to me and said this. They were a pastor. They said, I have no clue how you got this job. You are completely unqualified. I thought, wow, good to meet you too. <laughs> but you know, what he said started working. And when things didn't go quite right, I could see his face and hear that voice. And it began to build a case against call of God. And when I learned what I'm just talking about now, about there's this God that when we call out to him, he will break the jaw and he will shatter the teeth of that voice. I experienced that in my own life. Some of us here, you know that you are suffering under a case, a debate, you know the lie that's been believed or what was said or the episode of your life. I guarantee you, I promise you, that if God set David free, he can set you free too. I don't care what it is. God is the divine power. And through Christ, we have a weapon that will demolish this stronghold. Will you stand with me? going to move into worship and what I'm going to ask that you would do is if you would take a moment to close your eyes in God's presence 
For those of you maybe who are not a follower of Jesus, if this message resonated with your soul, I want to encourage you to reach out to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I don't know all there is to know about who you are. But whatever that guy's talking about, I know that I need your help. So Jesus, help me. Take me. Jesus, somehow bring your weaponry to me because I need you in my life. I need you. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, as we worship partway through this song, I want you to become self-aware in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you begin to identify that case that's built against the knowledge of God over you, I want you to identify that and then just be in God's presence for a few moments. Stephen's going to lead us. And as the worship teens leads us in worship, can you be receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit? Let's do that together. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We're gonna conclude our service by praying for people that know you need prayer in this area. And so what I'm gonna ask that you would do is close your eyes, but if you're here and you know that this message is for you, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask for you to come forward and to pray. At this time, I'm gonna ask that our prayer team and our life group leaders would begin to move. They're going to be here to pray with you and to pray for you know the end of the story of one of the students at Princeton that came to me when this whole idea began to dawn on me there was a young lady that came to me and she was one of the ones that said she would never get married and the reason why was and I'm changing the story just a little bit but it's in essence extremely accurate she said was because her dad lost his mind at the age of 30 and he went crazy and she believed that when she turned 30 she would go crazy too so why should she get married and have children and torment them the way she'd been tormented I've got incredible news we prayed together and God broke that argument over her life She's married, had a child, and that child went to Princeton and graduated two years ago. God crushes the jaw of the enemy. He silences the argument, and he sets his people free. If you're here and you know that you need prayer in this area, you maybe have never come forward for prayer before. I want to encourage you to slip out now and begin to come forward. 
go ahead and slip out if that's you. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith. For some of us, it's time to put feet to our faith and to step out of the struggles that we've been facing in life. It's time to make that move. I want to encourage you to step out. I know in the depths of my soul that there are others that you need to come forward. If King David can admit that he was struggling in this battle, you can admit it too. He wrote it in God's eternal word. We just read about it. And Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, struggled with this too. We just read about it in God's eternal word. If you're here and you're wrestling and you're struggling, some of you, your chest feels like it's about ready to explode. I want to encourage you to come forward for prayer. We've got our people forward that will pray with you and pray forward. I encourage you to come forward as we worship through the rest of this worship song. Let's worship together. And if you feel like you need to come forward, I want to encourage you to step out and to come forward for prayer. Let's worship together. For those of you who have prayed with others, if you see one standing alone at this time and you would like to move and pray for them, please do. We're going to have sort of a quiet dismissal. And when I'm done giving the pastoral blessing, if you'd like to stay in worship, we invite you to do that. The worship team will continue to lead us. If you would like to come forward for prayer, we invite you to do that. If you would like to swip, uh, slip out quietly and fellowship and connect with folks, we invite you to do that. Let's take a moment for the pastoral blessing and then do as you sense the Spirit of the Lord is leading you to do. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he turn his face towards you. May he cause his grace, his peace, and his joy to settle into your soul. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let's worship.